Good morning again. Welcome to H2O. Uh, my name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you here with us. I want to say hi to H2O Akron, who's joining us via video today. And uh, I'm really excited because we are launching into a new series uh, that we are calling Miraculous. And, and I'm really excited about this series because uh, we're going to take a moment over the next uh, four weeks and lead all the way into Easter with this series, where at Easter we will be talking about the greatest miracle that, that was ever performed in Jesus raising from the dead, a miracle that completely changed the world, and the world has never been the same since. And so I'm excited today as we're jumping into this series called Miraculous. And uh, I think that, that it's cool to, to start off this series, and when I think of, of miracles, you know, the, the first question that comes to my mind is, do you actually believe in miracles? Yeah, you know, maybe you've ever asked that question, you know, do, do you believe in the miraculous? And, and when we think of that question, the first scene that, that came to my mind as I was preparing for for this message was the scene uh, of the miracle on ice, right? Have any of you ever heard of it? The miracle on ice was this hockey moment where uh, the USA upset Russia, and there's this announcer that very famously yells out that, that question. So we're actually going to start off the, the service. I want to give you a little goosebumps, and uh, we're going to watch this, this one-minute scene of the miracle on ice as we head into this message together this morning. Did you catch the question there? I, you know, it's 1980, I think, so the, the audio is a little muffled. They didn't have the technology that we have nowadays. But the announcer famously screams out, do you believe in miracles? And he says, yes, you know. And, and I think that that's the question that we're starting off with together here today. Do you believe in miracles. And, and that question, do you believe in the miraculous? It's, it's an interesting question, right? Because even just in that question, we have many different ideas of what that even means. I mean, what is a miracle? You know, we watch that, 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 that clip and it's like, you know, is, is that actually a miracle? You know, I, I thought that was just a good hockey game, you know, but some people would say that's a, a miracle. You know, others of us, we would say, you know, just like a flower blooming, that's a miracle. You know, uh, some people, we use that, that word miracle miracle kind of rather flippantly and then other people were like no you know I have to see something crazy something big something dramatic happen that's what a miracle really is and so we're asking the question today do you believe in miracles as we are continuing on and as we're looking at the book of first Corinthians we're coming to first Corinthians chapter 14 today and in first Corinthians chapter 14 some miraculous things are happening in the church and so as we ask that question do you believe in miracles, uh, I, I think it's important to recognize that many of us are pretty skeptical 
of that question, aren't we? Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, you know. I, I, I'm around spiritual things all the time. But I have to be honest and say, when I hear that word miracle or, or when I hear about miraculous things, oftentimes my first question is, is that even real? You know, is that reality? I mean, is that an actual thing that happened? Or is that something that was, was made up in people's minds? And, and I think that I want to just start off as we're heading into the series recognizing um, that it's actually okay it's actually probably good to be uh, skeptical to a certain extent when we talk about miraculous things. Because let's be honest, I mean, as we look around our world, there's been kind of a lot of crazy claims uh, of things that have happened in the name of God, in the name of miracles, that may or may not actually be real. And so to be a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that the first claim that someone makes of something miraculous happening, we all have to say, oh yeah, well that was definitely God, that's definitely real, that definitely happened. It's it's okay to come to the topic of the miraculous with a little bit of, of skepticism. It's okay to actually use our minds and not necessarily believe everything that we hear. And so it's okay to come to this topic with, with a, a thought of, are miracles real? Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in supernatural things happening? But I can also say, you know, for me, at the end of the day, I do for sure believe that miracles are real. Even though there's times where I'm skeptical, even though there's times where, where we may have to question things, I believe at the end of the day that God is real, that God is alive, that God still works, and that everything that happens in this world cannot be explained, that there's not a, a physical explanation for every single thing that happens, that God is still alive and active and working in our world and God is alive and active and working in our church and we're going to discover what that looks like a little bit today as we open up this passage you know I was thinking about as I was preparing for this message different I would say like supernatural experiences or, or miraculous things that, that I've experienced uh, throughout the course of my life and maybe you have some of those things in your life as well I was uh, thinking about a specific time uh, it was about six or seven years ago uh, my wife and I we were in this season of, of kind of a lot of trouble within our life and we we're in the season where we were going through some some hard things and um, I wasn't sleeping well during this time and this was the middle of the night this one night and I, I literally remember like waking up and not being able to sleep, and I just sensed God, and that's not something I say all the time, but I sensed God kind of urging me to go into my kids' rooms and just pray for my kids, okay, and so it's like one or two in the morning, three, I don't know when it was, and uh, so I get up, and I'm in the, the middle of the night, and I'm just kind of walking around praying for my kids in the middle of the night, pray for my son first, and then I walk into my daughter's room, I go into to pray for my daughter, and somehow in the middle of the night, she had this golf tee stuck in her mouth, like at two in the morning, I have no clue how or why or anything, but she, I don't even really golf, you know, like, I don't know what was going on, she was just chewing on like this golf tee as she was sleeping, she's like laying on her back like snoring, and this golf tee is like about to go down her throat, and I'm like, that is bizarre, you know, and I feel like God somehow woke me up and, and urged me to go pray for my kids, and I obviously took the golf tee out, and I prayed over her, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for waking me up in the middle of the night, to go and, and keep this girl from choking, and who knows what could have happened, you know? And, and we all probably have different experiences. You know, there's times where, where I was praying for specific things that nobody else could have even known what I was praying for, and then God would somehow answer those prayers or confirm those prayers. I believe miraculous things happen still to this day. And the passage that we're going to look at, we're going to see 
some miraculous, some supernatural things happening. And we're going to kind of discuss and discover how should we think about them as a church. And here's what I want to tell you as we're heading into this passage together today. I want to make this clear from the very beginning of the message, and it's a theme that we're going to see woven out. The idea today is that miracles in and of themselves are not the point of what's going on in this passage. Miracles actually point us to the maker of the miracles, all right? And so as we come to this passage, as we talk about this series, as we talk about this topic, I don't want to get caught up so much in what are the individual specific miracles or miraculous or supernatural things that are happening. What I want us to do is say, how do these things actually point us towards the maker of the miracles? How do these things actually point us towards God so that we can know him better and understand how he wants to relate to us? See, the big idea that we're going to hash out together today is that miraculous events are not the point of our faith. They point us to the author of our faith. All right, did you catch that? Miraculous events are not the point of our faith, but they point us to the author of our faith. Therefore, we shouldn't go chasing after miraculous events, but when God does allow them to happen to us or experience, we have these experiences, how can we point ourselves to the author of our faith, Jesus? And how can we know him greater? And how can we discover him more together? So that's what we're going to be looking at together today. But before that, I just want to take a quick minute and just pray as we dive into this text and uh, ask God to speak to us. So God, we thank you uh, for your word. And God, as we are coming to a complex topic, Lord, we don't have the luxury of skipping around. We, we want to look into your word and see what it says to us. And so Lord, would you open our high eyes, would you open our hearts, would you open our minds to who you are and what you're doing. God, we believe that you are alive and well. God, we believe that you still do work and you are working. And Lord, we thank you for that. And so God, today we pray that it would be a day of unity. God, we pray that today would be a day where we are opened up to who you are and what you want to do in our church and in our life. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going we're gonna to work through uh, about 25 verses together today. You can uh, pull up your Bibles. You can, we have an H2O app as well. You can follow along on your notes there. They're in the app or in the handout. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to look at the first five verses as we start off here together. It says this, uh, remember we're coming right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and Paul starts off with this, which was all about love. So Paul starts off with, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. There's something miraculous going on there. There's something supernatural, but... The one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay, 
what in the world is going on here, all right? If you're not too familiar with these words or with these topics, you may say, wow, those are a lot of terms that, that I'm not even really that familiar with. Paul talks about these two specific things. He talks about speaking in tongues, which I'm going to explain here in a minute, and he talks about prophesying or, or prophecy. And these were things that were going on. Remember, this is a letter written to a, a small group of believers uh, around the year 70 AD in, in this city in Corinth, and they were having all these different issues going on and so Paul is speaking to this church and he's trying to help them figure out how to use these gifts these miraculous gifts that God has given them to actually not cause division but to cause unity and to build up the body of Christ and so first he talks about speaking in tongues again if you've grown up around the church you may have heard this term you may have experienced something like this Uh, if not let me tell you what it means speaking in tongues simply means communicating in a language that the speaker does not naturally know Okay, so, so communicating in a language that, that you actually don't know, saying something that you don't actually understand, but God has given you the ability to say it so that somehow somebody can understand what is being said. That's what speaking in tongues is. So there are these people who are saying stuff in a language that they didn't understand themselves, but God was somehow using to bring himself glory. And, and then the second term is, he says, prophecy. Or prophesying. Now, a lot of times when we think of that word, we think of like fortune telling, right? You know, like the, the fortune teller who rubs a crystal ball and, you know, tells you about the future. It, that's what we think about when we think about prophecy a lot of times. But, but primarily, biblically, that word prophesying or, or prophecy isn't so much about predicting the future, although that does happen sometimes in the Bible. But primarily, the word prophecy is about proclaiming the truth of God. So so the proclamation of God's truth, specifically oftentimes the proclamation of the word of God, the Bible. And so many times when Paul's talking about this word prophecy, he's not talking about foretelling the future or having a crystal ball. He's talking about proclaiming the truth of God. So he says, I'd rather you prophesy, I'd rather you proclaim the truth of God than speak in tongues unless somebody interprets, okay? Okay. Those are the definitions of what we're talking about here. And again, if you've been around the church, you probably know that these topics are kind of controversial in a lot of different ways, right? There's been many church splits around these topics of the supernatural or the miraculous gifts. And if you haven't been around that, that, that argument much, you may say, well, why? You know, what's so complicated about it? Why is there so much, you know, dissension around this topic? Well, well, there's really two big reasons, and there's two big questions when it comes to these miraculous gifts. And the first question is this. Do these miraculous gifts still exist today? Okay, are are these real? Do they still exist to this day? Does the gift of speaking in tongues still happen? Does, Does prophecy still happen? Does healing still happen? Do these gifts still exist today? And then secondly, if they do exist today, how should they be used? Okay, so those are the two questions that there have been many church splits around, that there have been many different, you know, denominations formed around. And and, and it's interesting because, you know, you don't get to, when you teach through a book, you don't get to just choose what verses you you talk about. You actually have to read the Bible. And so we get to kind of jump into it together here today. And uh, I don't have time to give like a super in-depth explanation of all these different types of things and and give all the the theology and all the background of the whole debate uh, that would take a really long time and that's not what this is all about but I do want to give you just kind of a brief understanding of, of the different kind of points of view 
that surround this topic. And then I want to tell you where we stand as a church because I think it's important for you to, to know that as members of this church family. Uh, and so I got this, this, this diagram that's coming up. It's kind of a, a spectrum of, of beliefs on these miraculous gifts, okay? As you look at this diagram, this is kind of the, the spectrum of, of how you can view these different miraculous gifts. Over here on the... the, the Left, if you're looking at it. You know, you have uh, cessationists. Cessationists to that first question of, do these gifts still exist? They would say, no, they do not exist anymore. It's actually not possible to, to speak in tongues. It's actually not possible to, to, you know, God doesn't work in that way anymore. And the reason why they would say that is they would say, these gifts were happening before the Bible was actually finished. You know, things were, were very fluid. And so God was using these gifts until the Bible got finished. When the Bible got finished, then he stopped allowing people to, you know, to, to speak in tongues. And he stopped allowing some of these things. That's the cessationist view. On the other side, you, you have the charismatic view, right? And the charismatic view would say, no, you know, they, not only do they still exist, but they still exist and they should be used often. They should be the norm, that should be how we're worshiping. That should be how we interact together. And, of course, on both sides of the spectrum, like any spectrum, you know, you can put a political spectrum up there. You know, you have fringe people on both sides, right? You have some really unhealthy views on both sides. Uh, you know, people on, on this side of the cessationist view who would maybe say, if you speak in tongues, you're actually like having a demon speak through you, you know? And so it's not, it's not actually a spiritual thing. It's, it's a demonic thing. And you have people over here on, the, on the, the far side of the charismatic who would say, not only do spiritual gifts exist, but if you don't speak in tongues and you're not even a Christian, speaking in tongues is the proof of Christian. Okay, so you have fringe people uh, where it says, unhealthy and unorthodox, meaning that there's fringe people out there that believe things that, that are definitely not true on both sides. And then in the middle is where many people fall, right? Many people that, that when you look at just all the churches in our world, they, they fall somewhere in this spectrum of trying to wrestle with these verses. And so that is the, the take on a topic like this, on the miraculous. And, of course, you may be saying, well, where does H2O stand? We stand right in the middle. You know, our staff was joking. Like, whenever there's a controversial topic, somehow we always end up, like, drawing a spectrum, and somehow we're usually, like, always in the middle, you know? And uh, maybe that's just because we're the ones drawing the spectrum. I don't know. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's, maybe we're peacemakers. I don't know. Um, but honestly, I would say we're right in the middle. We would not be cessationists. We believe that these gifts still exist. But we would also not probably classify ourselves as charismatic. If you've ever been to a charismatic church, you'd say, yeah, you know, H2O isn't exactly a charismatic church. I mean, we believe in being expressive in worship. Um, but at the same time, we wouldn't say that you're, you're more spiritual or, or more godly. We believe that there's order in the way that these gifts should be used. So we fall in the middle of the spectrum. Okay, now you have your education on uh, this whole topic. Obviously, there's way more that we could go into. If you have more in-depth questions, feel free to email me, and I may or may not respond. All right. That's a setup that we needed to do. So here's the question. Now that we know all that, how does this actually apply to us? You know, how does what was going on in this little church in Corinth uh, 2,000 years ago apply to us today? Well, I want to propose this for our first point. And this is something we've been talking about week after week as we've been working through figuring out what these gifts are. But it's something we need to continually come back to again. The first point is this. The gifts exist for encouragement and edification. 
any gift that God gives you exists for encouragement and for edification. In verse 5, Paul says, why do these gifts exist, basically? And he says, so that the church may be edified. That word edified, it's not a word that we use all the time, but what it means, it's like an architectural word. It means to be built up. To, to be built up. And the mistake that the Corinthians were making was they were emphasizing their own personal edification and they were neglecting the church. So they were using their gifts, and this is the problem they had throughout the whole book, throughout the whole letter that Paul was writing to them. They were using them, their gifts, they were using everything that God gave them to puff themselves up, to make themselves look better, but they weren't edifying the people around them. And Paul says these gifts, whether they're miraculous or not, these gifts are to be used to build up the church. And even as you look at a lot of the modern day debates that we have around these topics and around these arguments, I think oftentimes the debates and the dissensions come because we're trying to figure out uh, how can I look good or how can I have the attention on myself or what do I think about this topic rather than thinking how can we build up the body of Christ? How can we edify the body of Christ? See, here's the beautiful thing about God. And here's the beautiful thing about the gifts we receive. God has given gifts to his people. God has given gifts to his children. God has given gifts to his church, which is us. It's not a, a building or space, it's his people. So God has given us gifts. And these gifts, they're not toys to selfishly play with. They're not weapons to fight with. These gifts, they're tools. They're tools to build up the body of Christ. And so whether it's a miraculous gift or, or, or a gift of serving or a gift of singing or a gift of teaching, whatever the case may be, gifts are used to build up the body of Christ. And so we've asked it a lot, but I think it's important to ask it again today. Are you using the gifts that God's given you? Whatever they may be, are you using the gifts that God has given you to build up his church, to build up the people that he's put into your life? To build up the body. Or are you using the gifts that God's given you? Are you using the job? Are you using the, the situation that God has given you to build yourself up? To build your own kingdom? To draw attention to yourself? This is what Paul is continually bringing the church in Corinth back to. And I think it's important for us to continually come back to it. Because we live in a culture and in a world that says your gifts are your gifts. Therefore use them for your own personal satisfaction. It's yours. Paul says, no, they're not yours. Everything we have is a gift from God. And so use them to build up others. So the first point of application is simply, are you using what God's given you to build up others? Or are you using it to build up yourself? All right, let's jump back into the text. And let's get into even a little bit more dicey of a situation that's going on here. In in verse 6. It says this, now brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what good will I be to you unless you have some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as a pipe or a harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound clear, a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're going to say? Or you'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
if I then do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that there may be an interpreter to what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I shall pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can, some, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you are saying? Verse 7, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. All right, here's the second point of what Paul's getting at. The miraculous gifts, the miraculous gifts should lead to greater understanding, not greater confusion. Okay, the miraculous gifts should actually lead to greater understanding, not greater confusion. See, what Paul's doing here is he's emphasizing the importance of sound doctrine within the church. And the reality is everything we do here as a church, everything that any church does, I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> but if it does it one more time, it's off. It's done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll grab a handout if it does it one more time. All right. So the miraculous gifts and what God, what God is doing here, everything has to be based in the truth of Scripture. Because, listen, if it's not based in truth, it, it can turn into a lot of other things very quickly, right? If it's not based in truth, it can turn into superstition. If it's not based in truth, it can turn into an emotional feeling that may give us some really cool goosebumps, you know, and, and may make us feel good for, uh, for a, a short period of time, but they don't actually point us towards God. And if it's not based in truth, listen to this, our, our worship our places of worship, our worship experiences can become very chaotic places. And Paul's saying, listen, chaos has no place in the house of God. The church is supposed to be a place of order. And so the gifts should actually lead to a place of greater understanding, not greater confusion. In verse 8, he uses this analogy. He says, and if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? Now, what he's talking about is, you know, picture the, the olden days battles where you line up against each other and just kind of stand and wait for directions. What, what they would do is, that, you know, somebody would blow a trumpet or they would hit a drum. And, and those different sounds meant some type of different order. And so the whole army would know what was going on by the trumpet making a certain sound. But can you picture if the trumpet wasn't making the right sound? You'd have some people charging into battle. You'd have other people retreating. You'd have other people just standing there not knowing what to do. And so Paul's saying, don't let your church services turn into something like that. Don't let your church services turn into mass chaos where no one knows what's going on. And, 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 and there's, there's things going on all around, and there's, there's a great amount of confusion. There needs to be order. 
And that's so important. You know, I, I was just thinking about different examples, and I wanted to try to just make this practical so we could understand how this is played out even within our church. And I was thinking about an example that happened, uh, you know, six, seven years ago within our church. And uh, there, there are different seasons that you go through as a church and different experiences and different people come in and out, right? And uh, we had this, this one season right after I got ordained as a pastor um, where there was a, a group of people that were coming around, and they were really excited about God, which is awesome, and uh, they started reading some some teachings that, that were on the charismatic side, which is great, you know, we have people of all different spectrums, like I said, we're right in the middle, you know, and uh, and so, but but the things that they were starting to read, in my opinion, were starting to get more and more out there, and more and more towards the unorthodox fringe side of things, um, towards the end of this conversation, and they started to believe that to be spiritual, you needed to be uh, slain in the spirit, slain in the spirit to them meant that you would like somehow God would like work in your life and you wouldn't be able to control your body and you would literally just like shake all over and so they would come to our church service and they were doing these things they were like shaking you know uncontrollably um, during worship which um, you know at first if you can do that in an orderly way you know I, I think that's fine but then it kept getting more and more unorderly and it hit a point where they were literally falling down in front of the communion table like every Sunday and just like shaking uncontrollably in front of the communion table okay and um and so this would be an example in my opinion because you know new people would walk in and they're like i i don't know what's going on here there's people like on the ground shaking uncontrollably in front of the communion table and and, and that's what paul's saying here listen worship of christ can't lead to greater confusion it has to lead to greater understanding it has to lead to greater understanding. So we're able to help them see that, hey, th- that's actually confusing people. And I know your intent isn't to draw attention to yourself. But what you're actually doing is you're taking the focus off of Jesus. And you're putting the focus onto yourself because you're, you're shaking around on the ground. And, and people can't help but like look at you and ask if you're okay, you know. And so, so this is what Paul is telling us here. Miraculous gifts have to lead to greater understanding, not greater confusion. There has to be order within the church. All right, let's jump back in. Verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it's written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to, th- to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. See, the third thing that we can learn is that maturity is not measured by miracles, but it's measured by obedience. If we're not the ones that perform miracles anyway, then then the maturity that we have isn't measured by the miraculous gifts that we have. Maturity is actually measured by our obedience to Jesus. Are we willing to follow him or not? Are we willing to follow him at any cost or not? He says, I'll speak to them with other tongues, but even then they won't listen to me. So our maturity is measured by our obedience. See, some people in the church in Corinth, and again, I'd say it still happens sometimes in our culture and in our world. They have this idea that speaking in tongues is evidence of spiritual maturity. But Paul taught that it's actually possible to have a supernatural gift like that and exercise it in a way that's immature. Now, that's not to say that it's immature to exercise that gift because you can exercise any gift in a mature way or an immature way. 
And so he says, the, the, the mark uh, of maturity is obedience, not miracles, not gifting. See, our maturity isn't based on how talented we are or, or how many amazing things that we do. Our maturity is based on us following Jesus. And any miracle that happens should lead us towards worship of God. Any miraculous, any supernatural thing should point us not towards the person who actually was part of it, but should point us towards God. And so if somebody tries to take credit for something miraculous that happens, they're getting the points mixed up. If we pray for healing and God heals somebody, it's not the result of the person who prayed, it's the result of God. So we should look to God and be in amazement. That he can still heal and do amazing things. If we pray for God to provide for us, provide a job, provide a spouse, whatever the case may be, and God actually answers that prayer, it shouldn't lead us to being more proud or thinking more of ourselves. It should lead us to falling down and worshiping God and saying, God, I want to follow you more and more because of how awesome and how amazing you are. Maturity isn't measured by miracles. It's measured by obedience. And then finally, let's jump back into these last three verses. Verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone's speaking in tongues, and the inquirer unbeliever comes in, will they not say you're out of your minds? Kind of like that experience we were talking about, you know. But if an unbeliever, an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin. And they are brought under judgment by all, and the secrets of their heart are laid bare. And so they will fall down and worship God, explaining God is really among you. So Paul says, if people are actually just proclaiming the truth, which that's, remember, how we're going to define prophecy, proclaiming the truth. If people are proclaiming the truth, that's what the gathering of the body of Christ should be all about. And when you do that, will not people be cut to the heart? So the fourth and final point is this. The greatest miracle for us to experience is for us to turn from our sin and turn towards God. Do you really believe that and really know that and really own that? We talked about how do you define a miracle? I know in my own life, in my own heart, I need God to change my heart. I have no ability on my own to do that. On my own, I'm broken. On my own, I'm sinful. On my own, I'm selfish. The greatest miracle that any of us can experience is for us to turn from our sin and turn from God. And that's not a result of our own strength. That's a result of the gospel. That's a miracle of God. So oftentimes we get so caught up, you know, reading stories in the Bible. You know, you think of these miraculous things that have happened. You think of the Old Testament, the story of Jonah and the whale, right? We all have heard that. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you've heard of Jonah and the whale. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed, and, and so he got on a ship. He got thrown into the ocean. The whale swallowed him up, right? He was in the belly of a whale for three days. And so many times people think of that story, and they think the miracle was when the whale swallowed Jonah and spit him up. That wasn't the miracle of the story. That wasn't the miraculous thing that happened in that story. I mean, it was a miraculous thing. You know what the miracle of that story was? When the whale spit Jonah out, he actually obeyed God. He went to Nineveh, and a whole nation turned towards God. That's the miracle. Hard hearts, sinful hearts, broken hearts being softened towards the Lord. 
Listen, miraculous events, they're not the point of our faith. They point us to the author of our faith. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you haven't experienced that, that ultimate miracle of God softening your heart and turning you towards him, today might be the day. See, every single one of us, uh, without God, without a miracle of God working in our life, is actually opposed to God, is actually enemies of God. There's no neutral people. If you haven't experienced that love of Christ, if you haven't received Jesus, if you haven't experienced the gospel, then you're actually opposed to God. Because all of us are. And yet God, through his gracious love for us, did this miracle of sending his son to the earth, Jesus. God in flesh to walk on the earth to live a perfect life, to perform miracles, to do amazing things. They weren't the point, though. The point was that God loves us deeply. God loves us so passionately that he sent his son for us. And so Jesus went to the cross. He was killed. He was tortured. He died. He's in the grave for three days. Again, a miracle happens. Jesus rises from the dead, affirming that he, in fact, is the son of God. And he defeats death, and he makes a way for us to soften our hearts and move towards God. And so today, the question is, not do you believe in miracles, but have you experienced the miracle of putting your faith and trust in Christ? Have you experienced the miracle of actually living out the gospel? And if you have, you know that it compels you to invite others into that story. And if you haven't, maybe today's the day where you wave up the, the flag of surrender and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to experience you. I want to be part of your family. I want to experience the miracle of receiving new life that only you can offer. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to ask you to reflect on that during our time of worship.